Support for Paradox comes from the Timothy Center, your online counseling center no matter where you live. The Timothy Center is a marriage and family counseling facility in Austin, Texas, offering distance consultations for those that live outside the Austin area. If you have questions and you'd like to consult with Jimmy, Josh, or one of their licensed professionals, visit them at timothycenter.com. Recording live from Austin, Texas, a conversation about marriage and family that women will love and guys won't want to turn off. Dr. Jimmy Myers and Dr. Josh Myers are a paradox. Guys, welcome to the show. This is Paradox and I'm Josh and I am excited to have Lynn Marie Cherry on the show today. Lynn, thanks for being on. Oh, it's my privilege. Now you are a writer, speaker, blogger, and then you're also the director of Assimilation at Shoreline Church here in Austin, Texas. Your latest book, Keep Walking. Tell me about Keep Walking. Well, it's the book you never dream of writing, to be, yeah, to be sure. Uh, it's, it's devotional for women or spouses who are going through betrayal. And so it's not something I ever thought, oh, someday I'm going to write this book. <laughs> it really was birthed out of, of pain, out of struggle. And yet through that struggle and the hardship that I, I faced in my relationship, God just brought redemption, and there were so many thoughts and stories and scriptures and ideas that like helped me get out of bed in the morning. Mm. And I knew it wasn't just for me, and so I had to put it out there to help other people that find themselves in that dark place. You kind of hinted at it. Tell me kind of the, the circumstances sur- surrounding what kind of birthed this idea within you. Well, that's a really long story, so let me sum it up a little bit. Uh, I had. And it's a long story because of how I responded. So I had an idea really early on in my marriage that something wasn't quite right, but ultimately chose denial for probably eight years. Um, Just decided whatever it was, I didn't want to know. It probably wasn't a big deal and we could handle it. And that's just what married life is like. And, And really discounting a lot of red flags and stuffing things in closets or wherever I could find space. And um, it wasn't until we'd been married for about nine years that I I walked in on my husband as he was looking at pornography online. Mm. And so now that thing that's not quite right, it's right in front of my eyes. And yet I had entrenched that coping mechanism of denial. And so for another four years, I chose denial and uh, it's not a big deal. I don't care if he wants to do that. Um, I'm busy raising two boys and you know, whatever he wants to do is fine and tried to tell myself that that was really true, but ended up just miserable and angry, honestly, very angry. And I think that was God's greatest gift to me is that anger because it was the wake up call I needed to, to be like, I can't live like this. I don't like who I'm becoming Mm. and I don't want to be this person who pretends they're okay anymore. You mentioned pornography and that sadly is a common occurrence. Virtual affairs is a common occurrence within marriages. 
speak to, obviously there was the denial piece, but underneath that, you know, eventually you felt that anger, but was there anything else going on for you as the wife finding out this information? Kind of what was your experience as the wife finding out about your husband's pornography use? Yeah, it's devastating. Um, When you finally, you know, when I finally said, okay, this is happening in my marriage. And so for me, the message that tells me is that I'm not enough. Hmm. That uh, surely if I was just more beautiful or thinner or curvier or more adventurous or whatever, if I was just something more than I am, then surely my husband wouldn't have this problem. Hmm. And I think that's the first place that most women go is we take ownership of the that acting out. And we assume their use of pornography is because they're not satisfied in the marriage. Hmm. And so it wasn't until we, we began going to counseling and really understanding the nature of sexual addiction and walking through a recovery process that we realized or that I learned, you know, that this was a part of my husband's life from the time Mm. he was seven years old. It predated Mm. our marriage. It predated me. And it it was less about our relationship and more about this, this obsessive compulsive thing that had, had been how he coped with life for Mm. many, many years. You know, you mentioned uh, the the feelings of not being enough. Uh, it's kind of where you, you 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 personalized it, and many wives do. The interesting thing on the flip side is many men sit in my office, and you know they're great at work, they work really hard, they experience successes and promotions, but when they're home, they don't necessarily know how to be relational with their wives and with their kids, and. So when they get home, all they hear is complaints from their wives, and they sit in my office then saying, I just, whatever I do, I'm just not good enough. I'm not enough. You know, that idea, I think, is 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 pervasive on both sides of the aisle with spouses. Why do you think we run there? What's about our, our kind of first inclination to run in that direction and personalize it in that way? Hmm. You know, it just makes me honestly go all the way back to the beginning and Adam and Eve in the garden and being tempted with, Hey, God's holding out on you. And here's a way to experience something more, something better, how to expand who you are, you know? And so in a way that temptation was, "Mm, you're not really enough. There's more. And here's how you get to more. Hmm. I don't Hmm. know. It could be as as old as Adam and Eve. So obviously you felt red flags. You finally saw the red flag, but were there anything else that kind of, was that kind of the the distance sexually or the pornography use? Is that more of a symptom? Well, kind of what, dive a little bit more into kind of what was going on within y'all's marriage that, that was the quote unquote something wrong that you felt? You know, um, honestly, I... Well, I'd never been married before, so I I thought that it was great, and we enjoyed uh, life together. We had a lot of fun together. I think there were just moments where I would walk by our home office, and you know the door was closed. I just had a feeling mm. like something's not quite right in there. So it didn't feel like there was this huge hole in our relationship. Um, I think we enjoyed our marriage. My husband would say we had a great marriage. Um, This was just 
a, a box in his brain that he went to. And he, in yes. his mind, he really saw it as separate from the marriage. That compartmentalization. Mm-hmm which is interesting that our brain can kind of do that, that on the surface, you know, even if you feel like you have a, a great marriage, both the spouses feel that way, that this, this thing can be growing underneath the surface. You mentioned that anger was one of the, if not the best gift that God gave you. Tell me about that. Right. Well, I, the, the truth is I was okay being sad and I was okay being lonely. Like those were those were approved emotions. You know, Mm. those were appropriate. It was okay to be sad. It was okay to be lonely, but it wasn't really okay to be angry and anger scared me. Mm. And, uh, I, yeah, I started swearing like I had never sworn in my life. I grew up Mm. in a Christian home and environment. I went to a Christian high school. I went to a Christian college. I worked for a church. Like I was a professional Christian (laughs) and yet I find myself like, just with this anger that's right below the surface and it doesn't take much for it to blow up. Hmm. And I would go in our bedroom and close the door and go in the bathroom and close the door and go to the little room where the toilet was and close the door and just Hmm. scream and shout and swear and cry. And um, all of that bubbling right there near the surface. Hmm. And uh, I was terrified. And I remember, you know, I have two little boys at this time and I remember feeling like this constant sense of irritation with Mm. them, with my life, with the house, with everything. And, and just thinking there's a potential here for me to really damage my relationships and these people I love. Mm. And I've got to get a grip on this anger and what's happening inside of me. Or, you know, I could possibly go down a road where I really would act out in a way that could cause a lot of pain. The anger, I think, brought to my attention that there was something that needed my attention. Hmm. And in a way that sadness and loneliness didn't. Did not. Yeah, you called a gift, but then on the flip side, it was very scary because you thought that this gift could kind of take you down a road that you didn't want. There's a very fine line there that you were trying to walk. Right. I don't think I saw it as a gift until I, I looked back in hindsight and realized that, you know, and then I learned anger is most often a secondary emotion that usually there are other emotions under the surface of that anger. And then I realized, you know, thank God for that, because who knows how long I would have gone being sad and lonely. Um, but that anger sort of forced my hand. And why, I guess, you know, you talk about the sadness and the loneliness being okay, but the anger wasn't. Why do you think that anger gets that type of rap within the Christian community? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think it comes from my my family of origin. I think it does come from the church. Hmm. And, um, yeah, we hear, hear uh, be angry, but sin not, and yet we're not given permission to explore our anger. Yeah, that there is righteous anger. Yeah. You know, that's, that's so true. And one, I remember one day in my quiet time reading the Bible and reading the story of Jesus overthrowing the the tables in the temple. And of course, you know, I've heard that story my whole life. I've read it many times. And yet in that season, I just felt like, oh, he gets me. Hmm. 
like, cause I felt like throwing things, you know? <laughs> um, and I just thought, wow, Jesus has felt this. He has felt this sense of injustice. And ultimately what was happening there in the temple is people were being betrayed. People were being cheated. Um, it wasn't the fact that they were making transactions. It's that yeah. they were making transactions that uh, were not just. True. And so um, that was a real, like, I was so glad to be able to have Jesus identify with that emotion. Recording our Paradox podcast is a labor of love. We love exploring topics important to Christian families. We love bringing you interviews with authors, musicians, and podcasters that are shaping our world. Also, Jim loves to hear himself talk. See, I've been told that my voice is mellifluous. You have no clue what that means, do you? No. We also love making thousands of dollars. I know I do, if not you, Josh. I mean, we are, I don't know if y'all know this or not, but on this podcast, we are literally taking baths in $100. Jimbo, Jimbo we, we're not making any money. And actually, as of right now, we're behind $2,500, so we're actually losing our shirts. But see, see, that's a negative confession. You seem to think that that's a problem. It's not a problem, my friend, because we have a Patreon account. Please consider supporting us on patreon.com backslash paradox. If you think the show has helped your family, if you believe in what we're doing, you can make a one-time contribution or set up a subscription. With your help, we can continue to bring healing to Christian families. That's what I call mellifry, mellifo. The word you're looking for is mellifluous. Now, while this pornography and the choice to view it is solely the responsibility of, and your husband is culpable 100% for it, so everything lies on your husband, was there anything that you as a wife, though, did to help facilitate a, a life free from pornography use? Yeah, you know, my husband and I will both look back to, to um, 2004. I, you know, was struggling with sadness and loneliness and now anger. And I had gone to a women's conference and I remember walking away from that event thinking, I have to confront him like this. I have to speak up about this. And so I, I came home from that conference and we sat down in our, our bedroom and I was on the bed and he was at the foot of the bed. And, and I just told him, I was like, I can't live like this. I can't pretend I'm okay. And so I need you to either tell someone about this issue in your life or I will. Mm. And, mm. you know, in that, that moment, that didn't feel like love, uh, like kindness, yeah. but my husband will look back at that and say, that was one of the greatest acts of love in our marriage sure. for you to mm. confront my sin and, and then again, you know, there was another friend who had told me, who was just brave enough to tell me about an issue in her marriage and gave me the number of a therapist. And so I told him, I was like, I made an appointment and I have to go. Like, mm. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a basket case. Like, I have to go get some help. And I want you to come with me. Mm. But whether or not you come with me, I, I must go. And so I opened the door. I made that first phone call and, you know, I, I remember 
being frustrated at that. Like, why did I have to make the phone call? Why did I have to start this recovery process? But um, for some reason, Mm -hmm. that was that was uh, a blessing to him. And being able to see that I was I was willing to walk with him and that uh, there was a a possibility that we could get through this together. And ultimately my husband wanted freedom. And so when we began to engage in the recovery process, I watched him do the work. Mm. And I like, that doesn't mean things were lovely. Things were really hard and it's not easy for uh, someone dealing with sexual addiction to coexist with a betrayal trauma recovery person, you know, in sure. the same space, in the same home, like that was, that was a difficult two years of our lives walking through recovery. But um, somehow we were able to make it through together. And I really did see him press through that recovery process. And there was a point where like he was moving forward and he was doing the work. And I was like, this is hard. And I think maybe pretending was better. And Mm. I wanted to go back to pretending like, can we do, do we have to go to therapy today? But then he, he carried, so he carried the momentum of our recovery for a while as well. There had to been so much confusion, doubt. Obviously you speak to the anger, Tell me how you, after everything was found out and after you started working on recovery, how did you communicate either in word or deed that, sweetheart, I love you and I'm for you, but I hate this sin? You know, how did you not condemn him in his actions of pornography? I think a lot of that just comes from understanding the mechanism of shame and realizing that part of what allowed him to coexist with this issue in his life and still be on staff at a church was, was shame and forcing that behavior underground. And so, so deep underground that it's almost like you can, you can pretend it, it's not really there. And so I knew that, that shame isn't going to help his healing process. It's going to do the exact opposite. And so to be there with your heart breaking and, you know, your gut spilling out and not apply blame and shame, like it's incredibly hard. But I, I think the tools that we got in our recovery classes, and honestly, I think going to group therapy was a great benefit because then you have this group dynamic where my husband realized I'm not a crazy woman. Like I'm any woman walking through this has the feelings and outbursts and behaviors and thoughts and ideas as you know, other women facing this. And so being able to go to group therapy where you hear other couples having the same fights and dealing mm-hmm. with the same battles, it just sort of makes you realize, okay, this is normal. Sure. This is part of the process. And uh, we just got to somehow find a way to keep taking a step forward. No, and I, I knew that I needed an outlet for my emotion that wasn't him. It's interesting. Like when you're dealing with an affair 
there's an affair partner and you can pour out anger on that person and what a terrible person they are and they're evil and bad. But when there's this virtual infidelity, there's really only one person to be angry with. Hmm. So um, I did a lot of journaling. Um, I did a lot of writing letters you never send. And um, I punched some pillows. I threw some shoes. You know, I... I had to find a way to release some of that emotion. And somehow, I guess I just knew, I understood that if I railed on him, it wasn't going to help him get better. And that is not to say that I never yelled at him because, I mean, I did. I remember one day in particular, I walked in on him and he was looking at my computer and he was reading some of my journaling. And I had wrote in there, that I really didn't have feelings of love for him, Mm. that intellectually I knew that I loved him, but I didn't feel love. And he read that on my computer and he, so I walked in and I see him there and he's crying. And I just remember thinking, oh yeah, okay, feel some pain. Just sit Mm. there and feel that pain for a while. And, uh, you know, not my best moment. But, but all part of the process, you know, Mm -hmm. and so I think knowing that him being able to see the depth of the pain that I felt was actually helpful Mm. for him to realize it wasn't just about him, that even though this was an issue in his life, it wasn't about me but it did have a profound effect on me. Yes. And so many men, I, you know, I communicate that, um, that it's godly sorrow. Paul says it's godly sorrow that leads us to repentance. And so many men aren't broken over this issue of pornography, but their wife's brokenness can really connect the dots for them. So that certainly can be very helpful. You know, in, in your book, Keep Walking, it's devotional with a ton of scriptures in it that really fed you during that time. Kind of in, in closing... Give us some of the key scriptures that stand out in your mind as far as the most helpful for you to keep walking towards this relational marital health. Right. Well, I think the very first one was Psalm 27, verse 13. I would have despaired unless I believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And that was probably like my first lifeline where I just, cause I felt like I was in despair and yet choosing to believe that God still had something good for me on this mm-hmm. life that on this, on this earth, in this mm-hmm. land of the living, you know, that it wasn't just, Oh, someday in heaven, I'm going to be happy again, that God really had goodness for me in this life. And that, um, knowing that his goodness was there for me helped me to walk out of despair. So that was definitely one of the first scriptures that I, you know, put on post-it notes all over the house and in the minivan. Um, And then Isaiah 43 verse two, which is, you know, you'll walk through the river, you'll walk through the fire, you'll walk through the water. Um, but God promises to be with us. And I remember like reading that and thinking, okay, for some reason I grew up thinking if I was just a good Christian, that I could avoid painful experience. And yet right here, it says there are rivers, there are fires. I felt like I was drowning. 
I felt like my whole life was just being consumed by this issue. And yet also in that passage was the word through. You will walk through, you will pass through. And I mean, I remember one day reading that and just feeling like God spoke to my heart. Just keep walking. Just keep putting one foot in front of the other. There is a way through. Hmm. And so, you know, that has become my mantra. And it's funny, like even in the writing process of writing the book, which is such a labor and editing and it feel like it's never going to end and you're never going to hold this thing in your hands, but keep walking, keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep taking one step. What is just one step you can take? And that's another reason why I wrote a devotional format where it is just one or two pages a day, because sometimes that's all I could handle. in the trauma that I was walking through. And I was grateful for just a small, a small dose of hope, just Mm. a small encouragement that was manageable, but yet practical. And that could help me to make it through a day. Lynn, thank you so much for being on. If you want more information about Lynn, go to her website. It is lynnmariecherry.com. You can also find her on Instagram and Twitter. It is also lynnmariecherry.com. And then Facebook is her author page. It's Keep Walking Book. Lynn, thank you so very much. Oh, thank you for having me. She was fantastic. Lynn Marie Cherry. I mean, you should see my notes page. Everything that she said from, if I would have shamed him, that would do the exact opposite of what I desire for him and for us. It would do the exact opposite of the healing process that both of them so desperately desired. So she was truthful. You know, she stood up and, and, and communicated to him that the sin was bad and it will not stand. But as far as communicating that he was bad, those shameful words that we so often do in our anger, that really fulfills the opposite of what we desire. You know, she confronted and she found help were kind of the two ways that she helped facilitate healing for her uh, for her marriage. She confronted the sin, and then she took the steps. Even though she questioned herself and said, why am I the one doing this? You know, she took the steps to go find help. She talked about being, it was okay to be sad and lonely, but not angry. But angry was, anger was this certain, certainly this huge gift that God gave her to help her work past that. And then she said that there, there were times that I felt like pretending that all of this didn't exist and that, that my husband would act, was actually leading in the recovery process. When we are hit upside the head by something, it can be a betrayal. It can be the loss of a loved one. You know, when we are traumatized, when we are grieving, it's really important to give yourself grace in that moment. You're going to feel a lot of different things. You're going to say a lot of different things. You're going to think a lot of different things, and it's all okay that she had moments where she wanted to pretend it didn't exist, and her husband picked up the flag and led forward. You know, that's okay. You know, she shouldn't feel like she's a terrible person for having that, for pretending like it didn't exist in those moments. So giving yourself grace is is certainly something that's really, really monumental during these times of intense grief. Guys, if you want more information about this show, You can go to paradoxpodcast.com, click on the episode tab, and then find this blog post. 
and go to it. If you want to follow Jimmy and myself as well as the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you can also go to our webpage, paradoxpodcast.com. Guys, thank you for joining us. Paradox is produced by Billy Lee Myers Jr. For more about Billy, go to therapywithbilly.com. For more information about our Paradox evangelist, Julie Lyles Carr, go to julielylescar.com. And if you want more details about what was discussed on today's show, go to paradoxpodcast.com. Next time on Paradox. I think, you know, I say in the in the film, and we talk about a little bit in the book, I was so, so scared to to turn around and really look in the mirror at this monster I had created and all the running from God, even though I knew I grew up in church, I knew the game, I knew how to play the game and the lingo, and I had everybody fooled. You know, I was this great Christian guy at home when I was in town, but when I was on the road, I was this, man, good time Johnny, life of the party guy.